Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to Believe in Softball. I'm your host, Jenna Becerra, and we are cruising right along this fall. So let's go through today's order. First, we'll cover our bases, hit on some news and updates in softball and women's sports. Then we'll head into the interview, the rest of my conversation with Tori Vidalis, who's crushing it in the Taiwan League right now, by the way, literally dropping bombs in different area codes. In part one, you heard us talk about a ton. Hispanic Heritage Month, competing in Athletes Unlimited with her Team Mexico Brujas, or Witches. Fun background on that nickname as well. Their detective work, scouting the Tokyo Olympics competition, being a true pro athlete, playing Fortnite and video games with their teammates, and the magic of number eight. But somehow, we still had more to say. So in part two today, we'll talk more about how she started her broadcasting career, her alma mater at Texas A&M, playing first base, embracing every part of who we are, and more. So lots lined up for you. As usual, we'll end things with the double play tip of the week. So let's get it. Covering our bases. The World Series, man. October baseball is always fun. Postseason always seems to reach another level of energy, even without the fans this year. And I love this cross-country matchup with the Dodgers and Tampa Bay, and the Dodgers had the comeback to win the pennant, and the storylines that have just been building up. It's so fun. And at the same time, the NFL season's in full swing too. So look at us with our multiple sports at one time again. Even though we're not able to soak it all in live and at the stadium, we can still be part of it all at Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, you have more options to wager online with Bet Online than anywhere else, including the online casino open 24 7 like your favorite drive through. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online your online sportsbook experts. And really, if this year has pushed us to do anything, it's looking at the big picture of what matters. And the theme of what I'm sharing today is really that, the larger impact. So Athletes Unlimited announced the third sport that they're adding to the mix. They announced it at the ESPNW Summit this week. Lacrosse is coming And it's just so crazy how the softball season just ended, it feels like, and we're already looking at sport number three. And I have to say, I think Erica Piancastelli's tweet said it the best. She said, can we just take a moment? Athletes Unlimited is really out here opening up doors for female athletes to do their thing. And softball was the sport to start it all. That gives me goosebumps. Can't wait to see volleyball and lacrosse take action. Hashtag be unlimited. And I just think that's exactly right. I mean, AU really is targeting women's sports that have so much talent and so much to give, yet don't always get the recognition that they should in the existing leagues. And they're fixing that and they're adding value or giving these women the space to add the value that they've always had. And the first test of any venture is really crucial and softball, unsurprisingly, freaking crushed it. I mean, not just for our community, but for all of women's sports. And on top of that, it was a great example along with 
women's soccer and basketball of a safe and successful bubble. So there's that too. And the point system continues to be used across NCAA softball this fall. In a world where practices are limited, fall game schedules are not really a thing, it just helps these programs simulate some sort of competition and the pressure that can only come with game-like reps. So Michigan, Florida, Arkansas, Mizzou, Coastal Carolina, Army, Troy, Moorhead State, Eastern Illinois, all these schools have been utilizing the point system in some way in their fall workouts. It's just an impact across college softball, across the country, across conferences. It just tells me that we were paying attention too. We were watching and supporting these players and women in our softball community as we should. They are professionals and pros get paid too. Reports say that over a million was paid out to the 57 players and athletes unlimited over 150 K also paid out to 38 nonprofits that they all represented and chose to dedicate their season to. Again, it's maybe a fraction compared to the men, right? The ones we see in the World Series right now, but it's one hell of a step in the right direction. And a huge supporter of the league has been advisory board member and one of the GOATs, Jessica Mendoza. She also just became, speaking of the World Series, the first female analyst in World Series history. So ESPN Radio is providing national coverage, and she is the first woman to call a World Series game on any platform. It's really not the first time she's been the first. She was already the first woman to serve as an analyst in a nationally televised MLB regular season game, postseason game, and also the first woman to be a solo analyst for a postseason game. So basically, she just went from shattering softballs to shattering glass ceilings, like it's her job. And maybe it is. You know, I think she thinks of it as a big part of her job. You know, you want to do well in your role, but the meaning and representation behind what she's doing is that extra motivation to be great. And I've said it before, but the ultimate goal, right, is to no longer have these first. And she's kind of checking them off one by one. So as always, shout out to Stanford and our hometown, Camarillo, California. I'm proud to share both of those communities with her and the women's sports community in general. And really a big part of her work is her willingness to cross over and expand her reach. And we're also seeing that come to fruition in a cool way with women's pro soccer. Angel City Football Club, the new National Women's Soccer League pro team in LA, has added more founding investors to the group. You have people like Billie Jean King, Candace Parker, Lindsey Vaughn, and Sophia Bush, among others, are all officially on board. And I mean, I, I just named three women from three other sports outside of soccer and an actress slash activist. And of course, all four of them have a history of looking at the bigger picture and making that larger impact. But still, I mean, they're a fraction of the diverse group that one has a ton of women who are part of this investment and ownership in a real way, but two also includes male allies in this movement. And it is a movement somehow in the weirdest, hardest, most exhausting year in our collective lifetimes in the middle of a global pandemic and a national struggle here in the U S women's sports have managed to make big moves. Again, not a surprise in the sense that women and women's sports in particular are resilient we persevere and we keep fighting. It's just who we are. And Kat Osterman said it about softball players, and I really think it applies to all of this and all of us, from the biggest scale 
to the smallest event. And one specific event we've been following was the Hit Tracks Open, and it just wrapped up, and they crowned a softball champion. Emily Benson out of Western Washington University snagged that 10K grand prize. They originally said I thought that it was going to be a 20K cash prize, but either way, it's in Emily's hands now. And she was a Division II All-American in college, now beating up on the D1 alums here in this competition. Love it. And in the final round, she was up against Amber Schisler, who is a product of the Austrian national team and Campbell University. This is great. Like, let's go. I mean, the performance speaks for itself. And you love to see the continued growth of the game in this way. And I think it's just really cool to see those two as the finalists. So congrats to Emily. Another person who I think would have crushed it in this competition is today's guest, Tori Vidalis. So let's head into part two of the interview. And I have to say the last thing she said at the very end of part one was powerful. So we'll start there, then hear the rest. Growing up, you don't really see a lot of Hispanic girls playing. Like even when we were trying to find more um, Mexican girls to play at an elite level, like we were like, where are they? Like, where do we find them? Because you, you just don't come across it very much. So for me, just showing the little girls that, you know, this is something that you could do. This is something that um, is very within your reach. And I want, I want to make sure that they have good representation for us. And that's why it matters so much. Representation does matter. Um, whatever color you are, it doesn't matter what what skin color you are, what you believe in, but knowing that there's little girls who have the exact same skin color, hair color, hair texture, whatever it is, knowing that they can look at you and say, there I am, I can be there. And for us, that wouldn't be anything without family. My family and our family is the softball team. So family is definitely a huge part of Hispanic Heritage Month and really every month for us because being Mexican never ends. <laughs> I mean, I think you really just nailed it. Like being proud of who you are and even showing who you are and down to all the little things. And you, you actually mentioned it, you mentioned hair. And I wanted to ask yep. you about this because I've seen that you've talked about how you weren't super comfortable with your natural curly hair for a long time, but recently you've been more like, hey, yeah, I'm going to wear this to nice events and just be myself so what has that kind of journey been like yeah man what a journey it's been with my hair honestly I didn't know really how to style my hair when I was younger uh, my mom has really short like spiky hair so she just like puts gel in it and is good to go so growing up like I didn't have like nice braids I didn't have anything really like um, to make my curls pop um, my mom didn't really know how to take care of them and that doesn't really fall on her, but um, it was just there, you know, like my hair was just, my parents literally call me Medusa. Like <laughs> it was that bad, not bad. It was funny because it was really curly and it, whatever. But I remember growing up and everybody had this straight hair and I wanted to have straight hair so bad. So I would spend hours straightening my hair to go to school and then literally by first period because I had to walk to school in sixth grade it would be like frizzy and like super curly at the roots because I didn't know how to straighten my hair correctly so I would like start down here instead of starting like at the root it was just so funny now that I look back on it but um so 
when I got to high school, actually middle school and high school, I kind of just like gave up and I would just put mousse in it and like drench it. And then like braid these little two pieces, like the little tiniest braid and then like pin it back here. So funny looking back. Cause it's like straight, not straight, but like flat and then like really curly. And I remember always like special events, my hair was getting straightened. Anything that was important, I wanted to straighten my hair. And I started, even in college, I remember saying my first, my first year, I was like, I'm going to straighten my hair for every softball game. And I'm like, first of all, no, you're not. Ambitious. <laughs> yeah. Your hair would be very fried. Um, and second of all, my hair was like, wavy at the time because I had straightened it so much that it lost a little bit of its curl pattern and I didn't really still know how to take care of my hair and so it wasn't until um, my first year out of college that I was at the gym one day and this girl she had her hair done beautifully and I was like whoa like your hair I didn't know your hair was curly like it looks so good she's like oh thanks like I've been trying this new thing and I was like oh really like what is it she's like oh it's called the curly girl method and I'm like I have curly hair what is this and like I would just throw my hair up in a bun every day so no one knew I had curly hair she's like oh your hair's curly and I'm like mm-hmm, very curly and so we went through she like showed me the Facebook group and it was just like a new way of learning how to take care of your hair not necessarily following the exact steps that another person does because every hair is every person that has hair is different and the needs of the hair is different so just learning how to do that and make it look nice is a challenge in its own but once I finally started learning okay this is what my hair needs this is a technique that works for me put a hair mask in or this is how I need to diffuse it correctly and it honestly changed everything like it changed the way I looked at my hair the way uh, other people looked at my hair the way I wanted to wear my hair and so um, it's actually been let's see April so it's been a year and six months since the last time that I straightened my hair which I think is a huge deal because I used to straighten it all the time it is and a huge deal even, yeah even really putting like heat on it I don't I don't really blow dry it with heat. I just diffuse like on medium heat and um, like a high speed so it'll dry. But honestly, I haven't done much to it. And it's it's changed the way I've like thought about it because everywhere I go, everywhere I go, someone is like, oh my God, your curls. And then they'll try to pull it. And I'm like, don't, don't touch it. <laughs> it'll be stoned. Yeah. And honestly, that goes to show like, um, curly girl method came from African-American women and learning how to take care of their hair. And so I think it's so cool that it's like a merging point that we can find between um, not only black people, not Mexican, not Latina, not white people, but just people with curly hair. Um, and so it's so important to know that those came where they came from and um, how people today don't really notice that that's where that came from. But it is important to give the acknowledgement to African-American women and say, hey, thank you for teaching us how to take care of our hair because I would be a huge cotton ball right now if like literally out to here if if I didn't know how to take care of it. But yeah, I actually wore my hair curly to Riley Sarton's wedding, my teammate in um, college. And so that was a big event and I felt so 
fancy with my curly hair because I know how to style it and take care of it. So it actually looked nice and it's been a journey, but it's been fun. I'm glad that actually people notice because it's a hassle taking care of this hair. I don't have any product in, so, because I'm in quarantine. <laughs> so it's pretty like just... No, you don't waste the product on quarantine. Yeah, right now. We don't yeah, have I was that. like, I'm not seeing anybody, you know. <laughs> I'm just sleeping <laughs> a lot. Sleeping in Fortnite, like it's fine. Honestly. Oh, and Tule and I downloaded Among Us recently. I don't know if you've heard of that. Do you, have, do you know the game Mafia? Yes. Oh, I've heard of it. Yes. Okay, so it's literally just like Mafia, except it's on the computer and you're like a crewmate of... Like oh, you mean Mafia, like the in-person game, but you do it on the yeah. computer? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's really fun. So we spent like, I honestly, don't judge me, but we spent like three hours on it yesterday. <laughs> Love it. You're in quarantine. Like, of course. Yeah. Come on. I guess she doesn't have that excuse, but that's fine. <laughs> well, every night they have like um, a downtime period where, well, and also Tony, her husband was watching the Lakers game and they were getting ready to go to bed. He had class in the morning. So it was just kind of like their downtime of not doing anything. So it worked out. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Sure. One thing about the hair though, I do want to say it was pretty inspiring for me because well, I have curly hair also. You obviously can't tell right now because it's done, but yeah. My big thing is like when I wear my hair natural, I don't think it's quite as curly as yours, but it, it's, it's really wavy, but there are curls to it too. It's not like a, yeah, just, you know, let my hair air dry and everything's fine. It's not how it works. <laughs> so I'm, I'm with you where it's like, if I were to go to an event and I'm like, oh, I want to wear my hair curly, literally blow dry it, straighten it, then curl it with a curling iron. Mm-hmm. which yeah. is so dumb. It's like, my hair's naturally curly. Like, what am I doing? Yeah. You know? So I might have to like, get a tutorial from you at some point or like look into this Facebook group yes like I'm in honestly so overwhelming at first but the cool thing that I've noticed is that a lot of people will post stuff about like say a job interview why why can't I not wear my hair curly and be looked at the same way as if my hair was straight you know Mm. we think we look so much more professional and so much more respectable if our hair is straight why aren't women with curly hair looked at as respectable why aren't they looked at as put together because people don't know the extent of what it takes to do my hair if they understood what i had to do to make my hair look like this i didn't just wake up and people think that like if you wake up and your hair is just perfect like you get out of the shower and your hair is perfect no you have to like be able to nourish it take care of it and so that's where i think people the stereotype, and this is unfortunately more so for uh, African-American women, again, that when they wear their natural hair, it looks like they're unkept when that is their natural state of hair. Like, how are we going to discriminate against people with their natural hair? Like, (laughs) you know, it doesn't make sense if I were to walk in with my natural hair and they walk in with their natural hair, it's just more coily. It's the same, just more coily. So it's a, it honestly made me change my thought process of what curly means and what it means to be professional, respected, knowledgeable, all these things that women are and that even men are with curly hair, you know? So it's been awesome. I definitely need to add you to the group. I think you will enjoy it and learn how to take care of your curls. 
Yeah, man, I need it. I'm excited. And I love that you, again, have acknowledged that this is really across cultures. Like this, oh, 100%. you know, it, because so much more unites us than divides us, you know? Exactly. You know, we're all human. Well, yes, I'm looking forward to that invite. Um, but otherwise, I, I mean, I've seen the curly hair on SEC Network. Yep. Uh, which I love. For you, I know that you've talked about having this interest in media and you even played for Women in Sports Tech for Athletes Unlimited. That was your organization. When did you realize that you had an interest in that side of things? I think it was probably my senior year of high school. I had been doing really well. And so there were a lot of news stations coming out and um, doing interviews and stuff like that. And I realized like, I'm pretty good at this. Like, and I enjoy doing it, you know? So at first I went into college thinking that I wanted to be a um, athletic trainer. I took chemistry and I said, peace. This is not my path. <laughs> so I was talking to my academic advisor and she was just telling me about different majors and she was like what do you want to do and I was like I don't know you know like I don't know what I want to do and she was like well you like interviews and stuff like that right and I was like yeah I love that like because I was thinking about going to communications anyways and so she was like let me tell you about this other program um it's called communications and journalism ag ag common journalism and um it's more hands-on so we did a little bit of photography graphic design uh, radio, media writing. So a little bit of everything. And it was definitely hands-on. I didn't have very many tests. It was more big projects. And so we talked about calm and how it's more like theory and speeches and tests. And while I wouldn't have a problem with that, I just enjoyed the other side a little bit more. So I started doing that in my first year, uh, second semester. So I had a project that I need help with. I wanted to make this video and do like a voiceover with my words. And so I asked um, my friend Allie, who was actually the video person for the softball team. And I asked her, I was like, Hey, like, do you think you would be able to help me out with this? Like, I really want to do this for my project. And we were really close. And so she was like, yeah, just come to the studio. And I'm like, Ooh, studio, like cool. cool. And, um, yeah, she, she was talking to me and she was like, I was like asking her all these questions. So what do you do? Like, where do you, um, where do you make all the videos at? Where do you do this? Where do you do this? And so she like showed me around and um, I was like, man, I want to work here. And I literally said that, as I said that the, her boss, one of the full-timers walks in is like uh, asking her about this video. And she's like, Hey, she wants to work here. He's like, all right, cool. Send in a resume. And I was like, it's that easy. Like what? And so I started working at 12th Man Productions, which is the um, sports broadcasting company for our school. And I worked there for three years while I was still playing and in school. And so I was able to do a lot of cool things. Um, I was on the football crew, so I got to be like on the field with the big camera and like recording everybody. Um, I got to do that for a whole season. And then so senior year, I got to be on the volleyball team of videographers. So basically we would switch off. There was three of us. We would switch off, go to the games, 
record um, footage of the games, like slow-mo of like the girls like spiking. I know they don't say spiking, hitting the ball. Um, like just slow-mo sets or digs or whatever it was. And then I actually got a chance to travel with them two times. I went to Ole Miss and I went to Florida and got to be like the main videographer for that one. So got to do that. Then we have to come back and import uh, all the videos, label them, all these things. So it was just a really cool experience, especially getting to travel with them because traveling as a softball player, like you are the athlete. And with volleyball, it was so funny because I knew what it was like to travel as an athlete, but obviously every, every team has a different like schedule for them. They only play one day. So they're only there for two days. <laughs> so it was right. really weird. We, like literally got there and then we left. I was like, what? I'm so confused. But, um, we got there like on a Friday, I think. And then they played Saturday and they practiced Saturday morning and Friday after we got there. So I actually got to help with one of the practices because I played volleyball in high school. So like none of them wanted to serve. So I just served for them, even though they were probably like super easy, but they just wanted to like get in their positioning and everything. So I was like, oh my gosh, I'm on the volleyball team. <laughs> Two sport athlete, let's go. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I would die. I would love volleyball. I would have loved to play in college, but. Athletes Unlimited maybe. And I can't jump high enough. Oh no, those girls are like six four, and I'm like, <laughs> don't hit it at me. But yeah, it was really fun. And so then after I knew when I was working with Twelfth Man that I wanted to do this for a long time. And at the time, I had known um, Amanda Scarborough. Obviously, I'd known her since I was in probably junior high. And then uh, Laura Rutledge, who I got to know through the SEC Network, uh, the tournament. And so she had done an interview and we just kind of got to talking and I didn't even realize that it was an interview until about halfway through um, the interview yeah. and it felt like a good conversation. And I was like, man, like I would really enjoy something like this. I love to talk. I love people. Like I love hearing people's stories. So I um, had met Meg Aronowitz, who is the coordinating producer for ESPN she does softball and gymnastics. And so yep. I, when I met her, she already knew who I was from like actual games. And so I told her that I was interested and uh, really wanted to do this and just wanted to meet her and all this stuff. And I always let her know like, oh, hey, I'm doing replay today. I'm shadowing the bug coordinators or I'm shadowing the producer. And so I think it was honestly that just doing all these different positions that helped me get noticed. So yeah, basically me doing all the different positions really helped her notice that like being on camera would be a good thing for me because I didn't only do on camera work. Yep. I did the things behind the scene that most like on camera people don't want to do. And that's pretty rare, apparently, I guess. Yeah. And so we talked and then um, the year after I graduated, I was that was my goal was to be on SEC network as an analyst my first year. And so I had already gotten the call for um, doing color commentary for SEC plus, which is not really with SEC. You know, you don't really work with them. You work with the people at your broadcasting uh, studio at your school. So like I was yep. with all the people and they knew that I wanted to do that. So they gave me that opportunity. And then in February, is it February? January. 
I got the call from Sean Wyman, who was the talent um, coordinator, and he said that Meg had suggested me for the SEC network position. And I was like, I was stuck in Boston at the time. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, this is not happening. And so I went out for an audition and they were super impressed with my audition for the first time. And here we are. <laughs> I love it. This is like, I can relate on so many levels. I'll give you like a, the quick reasons why, yeah. but I was a comm major as well. Um, and then was media studies for my, for grad school. And I stuck around Stanford as long as I could <laughs> before I went into the real world. But so totally relate on that level. I call games with PAC 12 plus. So I know exactly what you're talking about at Stanford and have, you know, worked with the PAC 12 and calling games. And I have to say, like, tell me if you agree, but it just hits different when you're calling games or analyzing your alma mater. It's, special but also weird for me because true well you're fresh year, out you're fresh out yeah so it, and it was really weird because my first year there had been so much going on in the program that they didn't have the best year and so it was terrible because I had to constantly like harp on them for like not doing the right things which in hindsight it's good that they're like learning that but also they're like god why did why is, why is Tori like just like absolutely degrading us in this this uh video show game whatever and i'm like i'm not degrading anybody but i'm just like telling you guys like this is what you need to do to be an elite softball player like yeah you're the, well you're doing your job yeah exactly and they don't they don't see me as tori the broadcaster they only saw me as tori the teammate so right it sucks because that's something that you have to learn really really early on is you can't be biased you can't say we for your team like right. there's things you have to do that you set yourself apart from your school and you can't be nice to them even when they're making errors and when they're giving up runs and when they're striking out you have to call them out just as you would yep. for any other team and so I think that's just that was the tough part because they didn't see that from my perspective and so it was hard the first year was not a very good year for them like they just weren't playing well so but then uh last year they had a really good season for the most part they were on the uptrend and then season got canceled so yeah so it, it was weird but also fun because I knew a lot of like background information about the school and all that so it was fun and difficult at the same time <laughs> I, no, I think that's spot on because it's, it's fun because like, you're like, I know this program. I know how they operate. I know what the mantras are. Like, I know that there's this random like bump on in the infield at this exact spot or like, you know, whatever, like all the little details, you know, but you're right. Like the press box, you're neutral. Like I remember when I very, very, very first started doing radio, like right after college, I was like cheering and some like <laughs> our SID at the time was like, hey, you know, you can't really do that in the press box. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, it is, it is different. Like Daniel Laurie was that way, I think covering Athletes Unlimited, um, even with like some of her Team Canada teammates, it was just like anything else. And it just, yeah, some people think it's a little, you're tough on them, but, but that's, that's the job, you know, you're calling it like you see it. Yeah. And I'd rather someone be tough on me than say, great job. Good try when I strike out or whatever. Yeah. If I do, I'm like, no, like tell me what I could have done better. There's always an opportunity to learn. And especially when you're in college, I think you have like copious amounts of like learning to do. And so 
I wish that we would have had people that have played the game and had the knowledge that I want to share with them and that would have that opportunity. And I wish I was in that same position to learn it a little bit earlier. Cause I think learning it earlier is always better, but the fact that you learn it at all is the most important. So um, as long as they learn eventually, and even for me, like I love learning from DL, like she's my girl and I love hearing it from a pitcher's perspective, even though she did hit, which helps a ton because she can give a little bit of both, but she knows so much as a pitcher. And so I like knowing like, uh, okay, what would she do in this situation? Okay. What, what pitch is she going for? Like X, Y, and Z. So it's just so cool to learn. Like you can never stop learning in this game. And so the earlier you learn that the better off you'll be in the long run. Absolutely. And now you're right. You get to be that person for plenty, well, plenty of different communities within the softball world, but especially for Texas A&M, which is awesome. <laughs> and I am wearing maroon for you. I don't know if you can tell on Zoom. I love that. I've got my ring on. Oh, yeah. I like it. What'd no you say? one knows what this is. Like, when I go, like, AU, people are like, oh, my God. Like, are you, is that a promise ring? I'm like, to my school? Like, <laughs> duh. They're like, are you married? I'm like, to A&M. <laughs> married to A&M, baby. Married to the game. I love it. That's amazing. This stuff never dies, too. I saw you and Kat take a photo with the horns. Like, she's got hook them, you got gig them. Like, I loved it. It's always, it's forever. It's, it is forever. And it's funny because, like, when she was at Texas, uh, A&M was still in the Big 12. Like, they yep. were still very competitive. Like, there is stories that I've heard from, like, the 08 team that they talked about when they played Texas. And, like, uh, I think it was Jamie Lowprice had this big hit. And, like, they beat Kat. And it was just, like it was such a, it's just such a cool moment to like think back of like when she was there and obviously like she still sees A&M the way she does whenever she was in school, even though like we may not see Texas the same way because that wasn't my generation of softball. Right. Um, but it's still fun. Cause like you grew up on that rivalry, like everyone in Texas, you were either a Longhorn or you, an, you were an Aggie. So yeah. It's just so fun. I love it. And I love that uh, we had a college day and that our colleges both sent gear. So awesome. I love repping uh, A&M and Aggie softball. So it was super fun. I loved it. And I'm sure the fans enjoyed the the nice little banter there. So. Oh, always. Always a good time. Yeah. Well, I want to wrap things up with a little game that I do with everybody. It's called Safer Out. Okay. Don't worry, you look nervous, but you shouldn't be. It's fun. It's, it's simple. <laughs> um, basically, I'll just bring something up, a topic, and if you like it or you agree with it, you'll call it safe. Or if you don't like it, then you just call it out. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. All right. <laughs> Using a regular infielder's glove at first base. Out. Out. Get out of here with that. I don't <laughs> like that. Don't. I feel Everyone like that like anybody on the infield can go play first. And that is not true. Like, and I think we saw this in AU cause I was really truly the only first baseman that like plays first base. And you see how uncomfortable people are over there. And I had multiple people tell me like, I want you on my team because I'm comfortable and my infielders want to be comfortable over there first. The, the thing is you should only notice an, an, a first baseman if they're not doing their job right. So like if I'm doing my job, no one should notice me. Yep. So 
when you're using that infield glove, you have less chance of a pick. You have less length that you can give yourself or reach that you want to give yourself. Just a huge no-go for me. And quit putting your shortstops at first base. <laughs> Teach someone how to play first base and let them be there. It's, it, there's an art. Like there are so many aspects, how to stretch correctly, how to pick, like you said, like creating throwing lanes for catchers. Like there are, there's so much to it that needs more respect. I, I agree. I did a first base class for the package deal of the softball school and people were like, oh my gosh, like I didn't know half of this information. And I'm like, yeah, it's because no one ever teaches first base. Like we always teach like how to field, how to get yourself in position to throw to first base, but we never talk about the actual receiving and stretching and all these things. So I actually taught a lot of the AU girls some of my tricks because they didn't know. They were like, yeah. oh, wow, like you do all of this at first? And I'm like, yeah, it's pretty tough. Like, yeah, there's a lot. Thank You're you covering up. Of course. No, I mean, so here's the thing. I was one of those infielders that I played a lot of third in college, but I did play some first, but I grew up as a shortstop. So it's kind of like what you're saying. And I was fortunate though, to have Claire Sua, her, her last name's Amundsen now, but she was just like a UCLA legend. Right. And she played first base and she did teach us all of those little aspects. And I'm so that. grateful because, you know, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to just throw, get over there and think I can do it all. I want to do it right. You know? So anyway, I agree. this could be a whole other episode, but <laughs> I know, right? I agree so much. <laughs> okay. But out, that was the, that was the summary. Okay. So the second one is joking around during warmups. Oh, safe. I knew you'd say safe, but here's the thing. I think you have to have a balance, right? Like you have to stay loose oh, yeah. and then you just sure. turn it on when you're playing. Right. Uh, yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is like, if I'm at the plate, for the most part, it's like 70% serious, 30% joking, because I don't, I don't ever want to be fully like 100% like not goofy, because then I lose like what I do, you know, so I think having that good balance, but knowing when to bring it out, knowing when enough is enough, or knowing, okay, we need to get in gear, like we need to actually warm up. But we always goof around while we're doing our warmups. So it's not ever like we're not doing what we're supposed to do. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting little it's an interesting combination that you you really do have to learn as you get older what works, what doesn't, and you have to know who's willing to joke around with you. That's the biggest point right there. That's key. Wait, didn't I see, wasn't there a clip of you and Michelle Moultrie? And you're kind of like, hey, turn your swag on me. And she was like, not totally. Yeah. <laughs> I was feeling like it. And so Misha's like one of the most quiet people I've ever met in my entire life. Like I heard probably a hundred words total from her the whole time we were there. And about 70 of those was at a Friday night lights where she like got up and spoke. And so the other 30, I'm like, Mish, where are you? <laughs> so the first week when she was on my team, I was just trying to make her laugh the entire time. And so I was like, come on, Mish, like, turn your swag on. And she was like, so unimpressed, so unimpressed. <laughs> so I was like, all right, peace. And then they turned it into a TikTok and it went viral. So love, love that. Love that. <laughs> I mean, every Michelle Moultrie needs her Tori Vidalis, in my opinion. You got to loosen up. You need one. Yeah. Too I quiet. Like it. It's not as fun, you know? Yeah. Got to always got to make it fun. When it's not fun anymore, that's when, that's when you're done. Exactly. (laughs) 
Well, this was awesome. Thank you so much for joining, especially all the way from Taiwan. Like we didn't even get into that whole experience, but I'm excited to keep up with everything that you're doing over there as well. Yeah, thanks. I'll definitely be posting um, updates on my Instagram of hopefully the, the times and the time changes for what it would be for my U.S. people. So stay tuned. You'll never know what's happening. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> that was the rest of my conversation with Tori. Really, really enjoyed getting to know her. Her story has so many different aspects to it. And the best part is that it's still being written, like a lot of us. And last week, after part one with Tori, in her honor, the double play tip of the week was about first base and how to handle your glove. But the woman can also hit, which is very much an understatement. So this week, I want to talk about how to handle the bat. This week's double play tip is about gripping the bat. So physically, you want to focus on your fingers. And I mean this in two ways. First, you have to align your hands properly. Of course, your hands are stacked one on top of the other. You know, if you're a righty, the right hand is on top. If you're a lefty, the left one is. That's the basics. But from there, you wanna make sure that you align your knuckles, specifically the knuckles in the middle of your fingers. So the ones that you use to knock on a door. If you're looking at your hands on the back grip, your knuckles should really basically be aligned in a straight line. And it doesn't have to be perfect, but the point is that they're lined up so you have that flexion and flexibility in your wrist still. They shouldn't be twisted around too much to where your punching knuckles or you know the ones that you use to fist bump with are aligned. That can make your wrists a little bit too locked out and not really have that room to play with. So you need some bend in them. Aligning the knuckles helps with that. So then when you attack the ball, you're able to guide your bat to the correct plane and the barrel angle no matter where it's pitched. The wrist is firm when you make contact, but you start loose and then explode as you react. Second, the bat itself should be held more in your fingers and not the palm of your hand. This actually kind of naturally goes along with aligning those knuckles anyway, and it helps keep you loose. In a previous double play tip of the week, I mentioned this same concept in regards to gripping a ball to throw. You hold it in your hand with your fingers and the padding underneath them, kind of equivalent to the ball of your foot, but just on your hand. You hold it there, but not in your palm. It's the same idea here. You don't want to white knuckle it, you know, squeeze the bat so hard that there's tension in your arms. Like anything else in softball, you need to be relaxed and controlled, yet firm. And that's what ultimately allows you to generate more pop. So one way to sort of naturally align this grip is if you put the fat end of the bat on the ground, just a foot or so in front of you, and you hold that grip, you put your hands underneath the back grip, flat with your palms facing up, and stacked as you would normally grab it, depending on if you're a righty or a lefty. If you align that back grip at the base of your fingers and at that padding on your hands, this naturally aligns your knuckles with your top hand and your bottom hand like you should, and it does align the bat in the right place in your fingers and not in your palms. Just easy, you kind of let it lay there. And then from there, you just wrap your fingers around the grip, gently squeeze. Keep it relaxed, but firm enough to where you can hold and lift that bat. So when you lift that bat off the ground and get your hands into position, as you would in your hitting stance, you should be in the right place. It's just a quick trick to naturally and quickly align your grip. So again, overall, it is about focusing on your fingers, how they're aligned, how they squeeze the bat. And if you do it right, it can help you get better and more accurate contact and more power. But mentally, the key is to stay relaxed 
I mean, often your mental state and your physical state can affect each other. If you're physically tense, it's easy to feel mentally tense and vice versa. So if you keep your body relaxed, you're in a better place to relax mentally when you're in the box. And there are many different ways to try to stay relaxed. I mean, breathing is a great way to start. But when it comes to the grip, keep in mind what we've talked about physically and remember to keep everything, you know, your fingers, your wrists, loose yet firm. And you actually, you'll see a lot of hitters move their hands in the box, just kind of in small fluid circles as they're holding the bat. And as they get into their stance, time the pitches and get ready to start their swing. This is exactly why they do that. It helps keep them loose, relaxed, and in a rhythm. And that's what sets the tone. So again, there's not a lot that you can control in softball, especially in hitting, but you can control your approach. And making solid contact with the ball is all about your hands. Since your grip is what connects your hands to the bat in the first place, it's a small but important part of each at-bat. Hitting is a relaxed skill. So the more relaxed you start, from the grip to the rest of your stance, the more you set yourself up for success. So that's the physical and mental side of gripping the bat. Align your hands and fingers and stay relaxed. That's the double play tip of the week. You've been listening to Believe in Softball, available anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Believe.com, and more. No matter where you listen, we got you covered. So subscribe, rate, and write a review for the show. Share the episodes. Hit me up on Twitter at JennaBacera01 and Instagram at JennaBacera. As always, thank you for listening and catch you soon. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.